Mac and Heath. <laughs>so hannah my wife often challenges me this is her way and i appreciate it most most of the time <laughs> as you well know <laughs> so she has this uh you like the idea of i it like the, the idea truth. of it and i don't enjoy the process of it but i always or usually am you know better because of it uh but she has this we have this uh, recurring motif this question motif where you know i will come in and say I I just read this thing or, you know, I just had this idea or or something just happened. And she'll say, you know, so what? Who cares? And that sounds cruel. She's not cruel. This is her question. This, so this, what? These are who her cares? Questions. That's right. And it's her way of, of being like, help me understand what this is and why it matters. And it's a refrain that I've actually carried on into my classes. In fact, my, my writing and thinking classes, probably the students are rolling their eyes because oftentimes in the margins, after they've made a point, but not really made the point, I'm saying, who cares? I you know, think so it's what? amusing. You just described yourself as teaching writing and thinking classes. Oh, this is Thinking 3000 well, with Dr. Yeah. Heath Carpenter. <laughs> okay. These are critical thinking and writing classes. That's, that's <laughs> the name of these classes. And so, uh, but I... You know, though it frustrates me, and, and at first when she would do it, I would I would feel threatened by it. You know, it would be like, uh, "What does she mean? So what? Who cares?" I I just I just told her, you know. Uh, but af- after a while, I saw it for the worthy exercise it is. If I can't cleanly and crisply articulate what it is, like so what? This is what it is, and why it matters. Who who cares? then maybe I, A, don't understand truly what it is, mm-hmm. or B, why it really matters. And so um, this this question even goes into things that beyond what I'm just studying that day or the conversations I'm having, but like the life I'm leading. Okay, because I would say this is all very like interesting, but you've just said a bunch of like super abstract things. Yeah. You get to land this somewhere. What is she, what are you... St- Thinking or so reading or talking about that, she's like, you know, I'm I'm a man of 43 years, and so I'm I'm also <laughs> into this like ex- existential part of my life where it's like, you know, what am I, I? Half of it's already over. What am I doing? And the other day we got into this conversation about what I do. So Mac and I are both work. teachers. Yeah, and I teach I teach theology and ethics and Bible. Yeah, and I teach literature classes, film classes, you know, critical thinking. Thinking, thinking classes. Right, thinking classes. Uh, we have the non-thinking classes yeah, on the right. other side of campus. The I'm writing sure. classes, the thinking classes, the important stuff. And But we teach at the college level. And so, you know, it's, it's honestly, it could be a good exercise for us to be able to do this. And maybe you can help me think through my response to and like what I'm doing with my life. This would be a little bit of therapy for me. That's what, that's what I'm here for. Exactly. So basically she's like, so what? Like, do we really need higher education anymore? Do we really need college anymore? How would you have responded to that? Okay. So that's a really good question. And I didn't hear that from Hannah, but I remember a couple years ago, I was teaching this class uh, on, it was a philosophy course. We read Nietzsche and Aristotle and uh, so my students about Jordan Peterson and the like internet phenomenon that is whether it's him or somebody else who has a big following and they have 
something that's kind of like a university online. Tons of high-level content, uh, community of thinking and learning, uh, opportunities for career advancement, yada, yada, yada. But it's all hosted online. Mm -hmm. And that phenomenon strikes me as very different than the sort of like online universities that's this, like, we sell degrees, we sell credentials. But their point was, is a university still even like a, a necessary thing or a, a good thing? Do, do, what is the point of this, given the fact that we have the internet? And it's not just your wife or some students. This is like what every like CIO uh, at, a, at a university in the country is asking right now. Why do we need classrooms we've got the internet why yeah. so open I think- open source information but also you know google can create its own university come go to google university and we'll guarantee you a job and that was part of hannah's you know challenge to me here it was a sincere challenge really was shouldn't they just go get internships you know uh she she was using herself as an example she was an art major and, you know, her time in college was interesting because the technology was changing so rapidly that the professors couldn't keep up. And so really, she learned so much more on the job later that kind of launched her career. And she says, isn't this usually the case? I mean, it was the case for me. I, I was an English major. My first job was at an investment firm. I didn't take one single investment class, but they sent me to seminars gave me books, yeah. and I learned about more about the market and, how, yeah. uh, and, and investment culture. My wife was a psych major, did an accounting class with H&R Block to learn how to do taxes. Now she you know, works yeah, in exactly. and so, HR and all that stuff. You know, uh, so part of her issue is isn't the end result to get these. So actually, let's, let's rewind that. I, just hearing it come out of my mouth, right? It seems like at the crux of the answer is what's the – What's the ultimate goal here? That's exactly is is, right. is the ultimate goal to get a job and make money, or is it something else? That, I think that's exactly right, and it, and it it's an important piece that we don't want to acknowledge now. You know, I teach uh, ethics and philosophy, so the word that we would use is telos, this Greek concept of the end goal or purpose of a thing. The telos of a knife is to cut. The telos of a watch is to tell time and be portable. Uh and I think what we think is the telos of college is to get a better job. And the reason we think that is because college is, has been historically very helpful for getting a better job or a better position in life, let's say. Uh, if you want to be in the Supreme Court, there are certain colleges that you need to go to for law school. You need to go to Yale Law School and you need to get in that network and that pipeline. Uh, if you want to be president, there are a few places you need to go. If you But... The thing is, that's not the case for tons of stuff, making money. And it's not even what college initially was about. It was a sort of finishing school, which is an interesting kind of language, right? Finishing what? Finishing your education. But who got education? Well, nobles who already had money and estates, and they were going to be fine for a vocation. What they were getting was training in being a noble person, a free person, a uh, Someone who is fit to live life well. Yeah, so basically we're training people to, to be uh, citizens, to be, you know, the best version of themselves, live the good life. This is all, you know, real classical Greek Yeah, listen, listen to the language that you hear colleges use, like liberal arts colleges. Liberal means free. These, these are the arts that are befitting or that are, that are appropriate for free people. Mm-hmm. 
but being able to ponder something. Or like think about classes that every college in the country used to teach, and many still do. Art appreciation, music appreciation, something about being human, film studies, uh, to make a contemporary uh, version of this. Something about being a human means the ability to see art as what it is and to, to, to say that's valuable and I can see why and not be put off by it or bored by it or have to have things always easy, to, to appreciate sophistication, to be able to read poetry and say, oh, he said something better than yeah. it had been said straight in prose. Now, part of her response to this, though, is, you know, implied in what you, what you began with, we're living in the greatest time of open source information. I can cl- I can take classes at Harvard from my living room. I can, no, you can't. Well, I can take. Oh, Harvard is going to put out its content. That's right. But there's but I would in say open source form. So basically, I have access to some of the greatest lectures on the planet about whatever books you know, whatever um, uh, art appreciation you want to do. I, I can do that from home. Why do I need to spend so much money? And you know, jump through these hoops to go into college. Why? Why can't I do that? I think that's. I think that's a different thing. This is that scene in Good Will Hunting, right, where uh, you know the Harvard guy begins quoting the history book, and Will quotes it back to him and says, "You're going to find out. You you spent all this money on an education, and you could have gotten it at the public library. A library does this. You have access to books, um, and I actually think that there's something wonderful about." Open source. Go get a go pick a book up. You can get this stuff. Two things I think universities offer, and school in general. This is true for high schools and grade schools and homeschool uh, programs and such. One is curation. It actually is not very helpful to have every mineral in the world in your cabinet, and you walk in and go, "I'm going to cook," and I've got every spice there is. Well. That's not very helpful. You need someone to say, no, 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 you need this spice. You need salt, you need pepper, you need cumin, you need, you know, whatever it is to make this dish. So the curation of information is super important. I think about like even before the internet was really exploding, I had a friend, super smart guy, worked in the trades. He was inter- He went to church, he was a Christian guy, he was interested in theology, which is what I study and teach. I was in graduate school at the time, he was just reading a bunch of books. And sometimes we would chat and that was great. The problem was sometimes he would read a book because it was what was on the shelf or it's what popped up on his, you know, uh, recommendation or whatever. And he thought this was a serious book. And he was like, what about this one? And I would be like, oh, well, actually, that is like a recapitulation of a theory that was kind of debunked because it didn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. So access to all the information isn't helpful if you don't have a guide, someone to help you say this piece, not that piece, yeah, that piece, not this piece. I think that's a big part of it. I also responded by, you need to be in the room. Mm-hmm. This know. is what I mean when you can't take a class at Harvard because yeah. the Harvard students aren't going to chat yeah. with you about it afterwards. You need to be in the room and uh, bounce those ideas around in real time, respond to them, etc. cetera. Uh, but I also think that, and this is one of my challenges to her, is that you're not going to make yourself. Very few right, people are going to be it. disciplined enough to not just read the hard book and not just watch lectures of you know professionals walking through the complexities of the hard book and to read academic peer review journals about the hard book. But then you're not going to force yourself to 
write a complex paper, you know, in, in good, clean prose about the book and then go to someone and say, can you give me feedback on this so I can be mm-hmm. better? You know, there's something about the laboratory of being in the room. The discipline. Where, of yeah, where all of those things are created. Uh, you know, she, I can be accused of being a bit of an idealist, too, about what we do, you know. Sure. And I, I tend to think also when, when we do this right, you know, it's not just what's happening in the classroom, but it's the mentorship and the care we have for students that plays a part in them growing into being the best versions of themselves. Uh, however, I liked this exercise, you know, like I've heard saying, like, basically defend your life's work, because it also got me thinking about these cultural trends, you know. Um, universities are facing these great pressures to become degree mills. And yeah, because there's money in it. Exactly. And I don't want to. I don't want to give my life's work to that. Yeah, it's challenging in that way to me too. It's scary to say, I, I don't feel this way about the university where we teach. But if it became simply a degree mill, if what we were, if what people say, what business are you in, or what segment of the economy do you work in? If instead of saying education, that is, I help people learn things they didn't know to help them think and write and ponder, et cetera, better. Instead of saying, I work at a learning institution, educational institution, I said, I work in a credentialing institution. And what we do is sell degrees. It would be scary for me because I'm conservative by nature. I like to stay the course on a thing to say, man, is this this worth the life that I'm pouring into it? Mm -hmm. Because in the abstract, to say, no, it wouldn't be worth it. But it would be tempting to stay in it for the money. Yeah. Yeah, but it ultimately corrupts, distorts the idea of, of education. Like yeah. we, need, we need a new word for it, Yeah, it, would, it, it betrays the thing that I actually and, feel really deeply. Well, and it's, um, you know, we could go on and on about this. Uh, it, it's setting itself up in, even in high school. Now our high school system is a credentialing system. Look at the standardized uh, tests. Yeah, standardized test culture, making teachers teach to certain standards just so that the district can get more money so the students do well on the test. And so, you know... Of course, they're supposed to think that way by the time they get to college. That's all parents and students know. But really, this is such a fun question to entertain in all aspects of my life. I hear Hannah's voice in my head, even, you know, what we're doing today. It's like, you know, uh, I I hesitate to go home and say, hey, Mac and I are recording a podcast because I can just, uh, you know, I can hear the question, you know, so what? Who, why? Who cares? Why? Yeah. No. Who wants to listen to that? Yeah, but why? Why do people do podcasts? This is a this is a good uh, other little you know <laughs> sidebar conversation. Why? Why do people do podcasts? Okay, so let's talk about that. So why did you do the? Oh, was it my idea or your idea to do this? I don't know. I don't either. But so let's imagine it was mine. Why would you say yes? Well, at its worst. This is just an exercise in self-indulgence. Well, I like that you started there. Yeah. Why did you say yes? And you said, <laughs> at its worst, it's an exercise in self-indulgence. You know, and I do love to indulge in myself. Yeah, th- this is a part of culture we should be aware of. And part of myself I should be aware of. You know, it's like uh, sometimes I, I listen to podcasts or TED Talks, and I'm like, this is really self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. And it also, at its worst, uh pretends to be deeper than it is. Yeah. You know, it pretends yeah, right. to have something to say about a, a topic and it makes someone feel like, you know, I'm not going to do the hard work to learn the complexities and depth of something, but I can watch a 10-minute TED Talk on it or I can listen to a 30-minute podcast and at least feel conversational in it, which, 
look, I get it. The world is complex. That's not, not a that's bad not, that's thing, right. especially as a starting place. That's right. But when, you know, when people end up watching or listening to only the same types of things over and over again, it creates a bit of myopia and it also, um, you know, creates dilettantism. Yeah, I think it also does this. It limits creativity in ways you can't see. Yeah. So I'm thinking about one time I had a friend who he runs a business, successful entrepreneur guy, and good dude, smart dude. Uh, and he was interested in leadership. And he took me out to lunch. He said, I want to learn about, like, leadership. What, what could you teach me? What would you tell me uh, I could do to be a good leader? And he's thinking about in his in his business. And I said, I'll tell you one thing that, that you ought to do is you ought to read Augustine's The City of God. Yeah. And he's like, what what book is that? So I, was, <laughs> yeah. I start to, oh, well, you know, it's like 900 pages of – uh, late Roman. Archaic prose uh, that's going to be difficult yeah, that's, to get through. Yeah, that's largely, you know, about God, but also tons about, like, the nature of humanity and the nature of civilization and where authority comes from and some of those kind of questions. And I said, this is a really important book, a really good book. And I think in reading through it, like, you would think about these questions and that would help you see what makes leaders better or worse. And then yeah. that would open up some creativity for you. And I knew what I was doing when I said that, yeah. you know. What were you doing? <laughs> uh, well, part of what I was saying was you can't take somebody out to lunch and say how to be a good leader. Yeah. But, like, I actually, like, I like this guy a lot. And I think he is actually a pretty good leader. Yeah. And the fact that he took somebody out to lunch that he was new or respected and said, tell me about this, is a huge, great start. But what he said to me next was he said, well, what book can I read where someone will have already read The yeah. City of God and gotten the best insights and give them to me? Yeah. And this, I think, is like— Or listen to the podcast where someone— yeah. yeah. This is like what happens when Michael Jordan, at the beginning of Space Jam, goes outside to A shoot Space free Jam those. reference. I yeah. didn't see that coming. Yeah. I love this. You're, you're delivering. When I was a kid, I loved that scene in the movie, maybe more than anything else. Uh, it's little boy Jordan— on the patio, shooting free throws. It's all, he's not even playing ball. He's, dirt, no dirt one's court, watching. North yeah. Carolina. Whatever it is. And, it, you know, like a mom, the mom hollers out and says, you know, come to there. And he says, just five more. Yeah. And you say, no, no, no. I don't want to shoot a thousand free throws. I want somebody to tell me how to make a free throw so I don't, like, you shot a thousand. Tell me how to do it. Yeah. And the answer is, oh, man, no, that's the work of it. You shoot a thousand free throws according to the right form so that in the game you know how to play around off of that. It opens up new creativity. Yeah. You can't do improv until you can read music and obey the rules. So are you talking us out of doing a podcast, or I feel like you just talked us out of doing this? No, 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 no. <laughs> what, what, I, what I hope is that, just like that conversation, uh, I hope that what we say to people is this is a great starting point. A okay. podcast is meant to um, inspire people to want to do the deeper work. So if you reference a book or a film in our conversation and I'm a listener and I don't, I haven't read that. Then I think, Oh, maybe I should read that. Or I should take a class in that and read that or from a book club uh, and read that with a community of people and all those trying to explore this together. Mm -hmm. That to me is what podcasts do. Well, I mean, part of it, they're entertaining. I think they, they should do that, but they also point us toward the depths, like a podcast, like what I think two college professors like us, what we want to do, humanities professors, yeah. is help point people to the deep questions for humanity. Here's what it is to be human. 
And we start the exploration with the understanding that people will go on beyond that. Yeah, I also think at its best, and I'm not saying that we'll, you know, we pull this off, but I think at its best, I would hope that it mimics good communication. Yeah, conversation. You know, how, right? to, how to have a conversation. Um, maybe even, hopefully, you know, at its best, sometimes lowercase g, good thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the two, two of us are capable of such a thing in this uh, format. But yeah, I mean, even even the art of conversation, I do appreciate the fact that podcasts are so popular, and I think the better the the best form of them are um, inspiring people to want to know more about something, right? Yeah, that's at, right. At the worst, it becomes um, a worship of personality. Yeah, tell me what personality. to think, not how to think. Tell me what to think, and then also uh, like what. Like so much of what's happening online right now, um, I know the people I'm supposed to be listening to to reinforce what I already think, and therefore I'll do that and feel educated and smart by it since they're educated and smart. But really, it's just perpetuating fundamentalism, and that's gross. It's interesting the way that, you know, every the worst thing of a thing and the best thing are just flips of it. Yeah. So, like, think about the difference in and this goes back to our conversation about uh, going to college, think about the difference in being part of a community and networking, right? I tend to think networking, ugh, yeah. gross. This is shallow. This is actually, uh, this is, I am I am seeking relationships in order to use people. Yeah. This is like kind of the definition of what it is. But community, like I'd say, what, what's a great reason to go to college? You need to be in the room with those people so that they become your friends, so that they push you to think yeah. and uh, and grow in important ways. But I also, you know, if I were trying to market that yeah. in a slick utilitarian marketing, I'd say, I'd say, oh, you need to know these people's names because they'll hire you or you'll hire them so that you guys can make more monies one day. Yeah. Well, and all, but even, you know, even embedded within what you just said, the idea of networking, uh, there's... It's a dynamic. That's a dynamic phrase. Oh, sure. It, it can carry these negative impulses, or it can carry the sense of um, how can I be placed in a group where we all know our strengths and talents and virtues and values or whatever, so that we can all get plugged into the spaces that we should be for the benefit of the individual in the community. So everything that you approach really has this ability to be a distorted version That's of what I'm saying, yeah. this ideal. So we can pick we can pick words and apply network yeah. versus community or team, right? Yeah. Team to me sounds like, yeah, you gotta you gotta expand your team. Yeah. That sounds different than I'm networking. Yeah. But if you like the word network, that's fine. The question is not what do you call it? The question is what are you actually doing? Yeah. What are, uh, what are your values behind it? Yeah. What your what are you aiming at? Yeah. What's the telos here? What yeah. what what's the point of getting to know these people? Is it so that you can make money or is it so that you can do good work in the world? So these conversation, this conversation just reinforces something that I'm just constantly just kind of um, both. In, can a person be both inspired and flabbergasted at the same time? Is that <laughs> possible? I am both inspired and flabbergasted at the fact that Hannah's just always on to something. You know, we all we ask is, so what? Who cares? You know, like, why Why are we doing this? Why are we sitting in this room with Mallory? Other than Mallory's great to hang out with. You know, why are we sitting in this room with Mallory? She's producing this thing. We're talking. So what? Who cares? Uh, I'm. We're going to walk out of here 
and go teach classes. You know, I'm going to teach film as I literature. I was just thinking you, the same thing. I got to do a better job. Yeah. So what? Who cares? Like, what, you know, so uh, again, she's teaching me. She's going to hate how much flattery uh, is being <laughs> that's performed. Why, that's why I'm doing it. <laughs> never, never let her listen to this podcast. Not that she would want to. <laughs> Done. Okay, well, Mac, uh, what's your hot take this week? I'm terrified to tell you. We uh, may lose no. We may lose all 13 of our listeners when I say this. <laughs> hot take. Don't bring your dog oh, to no. a store. Oh, I, do no. not, I do not need to be picking out produce oh, no. while you're carrying a terrier like it's a football. Don't bring your dog to the store. Don't bring your dog to church. I don't hate dogs, but I yes, don't want do. them in public places. Quit telling yourself and people that you don't hate dogs when you do. I don't hate them. Can you explain to me a way in which you like a dog. Do you like a dog oh, as an idea? I love a dog as a work animal. You like a dog in a movie. I do sometimes. <laughs> you, but dogs in movies uh, only bark when they're supposed to. Yeah. They don't stink. Yeah. They don't shed. They don't jump on me. Here's one. They don't bite and so maul human you beings really only except like, for like cool movies. You really only like people in movies too because guess what? People do versions of those things. <laughs> I bet you didn't like your children in reality either because kids do all of those things. I like them better now. <laughs> okay. Well, here's the thing. You've been around the wrong kind of dogs. Just like sometimes you're around the wrong kind of People. Your dog tries no, to eat no, me every time I come to your house. Homer hates me. No, he does not. I'm gonna, let me tell you this. Number one, Homer is not a dog. Homer is a little boy. This is your hot take coming. He is <laughs> yes. not a boy. He, he is, is a dog. He has a soul. I've looked into his human eyes in a dog body, and I understand him in ways you don't. When you come to my house, I greet you affectionately. I'm so happy that you are there. Okay? And I'm like, let's play. You want to play ping pong? Do you want to have a good chat? Like, we want to sit on the porch. What do you want to do? That's what Homer does to everyone. He, he comes outside and he's like, hey, everybody, Max here. His tail's wagging. He barks a couple of times. Why do you hate being greeted? Why do you hate being loved? This is what I don't <laughs> understand about you. It is a moral character flaw, a huge defect. Uh, I'm praying for you. I'm sorry that you didn't have the experience that I have. Do you take Homer to the store? Do you put him in the grocery basket and walk him around the deli? <laughs> Homer, I hope you're not listening to this. Homer is too fat for that. <laughs> I have a very difficult time picking Homer up. <laughs> uh, I do not do that. However, I would take Homer anywhere. I would take Homer virtually anywhere else. Homer is so um, well. He obeys so very well. Uh, he does not need a leash anywhere. If I tell him to come, he comes. You know, he stays with me. The only thing is that he does not use the bathroom like a, a civilized human being does. That's the only thing about Homer. But it's just, you know, his, it's his instinct. It's a different uh, social ethic amongst his kind. And it's something that we just have to adapt to. <laughs> well... There go our the, the <laughs> next week. I know that the sponsors will demand that this becomes simply, uh, and he. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. All right. Thanks for giving us a listen. I'm Mac. I'm Heath. Thanks to Mallory taking care of us, putting it out there for the people. Thanks, Mallory. Next week on Mac and Heath, we're talking about style. 
Oh, I like that. What's that mean? What does it look like? How do you get it? Let's talk about I it. I want it. 